On this episode, David Tornabene, an insurance expert, joins us to teach us three ways to protect your income. We're going to cover both personal and business strategies. We discuss strategies to save money if you are going to go down the road of disability insurance. As an online fitness entrepreneur, we're going to give you three landmines to be aware of and red flags to look for when working with an insurance representative. So hopefully this episode is really helpful for people looking to for strategies on protecting their income. And again, we're going to discuss some things where you don't necessarily need an insurance strategy. Those will come towards the end. And as always, if this is helpful, please share it with a friend. Thank you and enjoy the show. Welcome to Building Your Wealth Muscle, a podcast about building and protecting wealth for online health and fitness coaches. Each episode, we're going to break down different topics in the areas of business, finance, and tax, and how they pertain to your coaching business. Disclaimer, the topics covered in this podcast are for educational purposes only. This is not advice for your specific situation. Please consult a qualified financial or tax professional before making changes to your financial or tax situation. Now, here's your host, certified financial planner, Pat Darby. Hey, what's going on, guys? So today we're going to go into all the different ways, especially as as I'm recording this, there's potential for recessions looming. So how do you protect your income? That's one of the main things we're going to talk about today. And we have a guest expert in insurance, David. Hey, how's it going, Pat? How's it going? Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Now, before David introduces himself and gives his background, I just want to say one thing that I don't know if he'll say this about himself, but it's important to highlight. One of the reasons I really love working with him, other than the fact that he'll explain all the years of experience he has, is that he is a completely independent insurance person. So he does not work for an insurance agency. He works for you, the client. And I think that's incredibly important because like anything, like you walk into name any major place but if that's the where the company the person works you're not getting a full spectrum of insurance advice you're going to get what they have to offer so again i don't know if dave was going to talk about that but i want to make that incredibly clear for people that if you end up looking for someone to help you with insurance ask them that question because it's really helpful but uh david yeah please please tell the listeners about your background and Anything else that, that's helpful to know? Wow, thanks for the introduction there, Pat. You know, I I think I would have forgotten to talk about my independence, but I think it's a really great point that I can have access to, uh, you know, 30-plus different insurance carriers, all the big ones that everybody knows about, little ones that they don't know about. And I've been, I figured out this afternoon that I was in the business for 28, 28 years so far. And so in that time, uh, after having worked, uh, building an insurance department for Wall Street brokerage and working for several Wall Street brokerages and then for a brokerage general agency. I've gotten to know insurance pretty inside out, I would say. There's a few things here and there where I have to turn to experts. And I think that's another uh, value added that I bring is the fact that I have a a whole cadre of uh, people with expertise, uh, attorneys, underwriters, uh, plan designers that I have access to, including all this independence that I have. So uh, I've been doing this for 28 years. Like I said, as I've gotten older, I've also worked giving back to the community through uh, nonprofit work. That's one of my passions outside of the insurance business. I work with families of children with special needs. So uh, I guess that's about it about me. I have a family of my own, a wife. And a son who's sixteen and six foot six, an incredible basketball player. Yes. Wow, he's already six foot six. Yeah, he's really rocking sixteen on the, uh, on the court. So great, great athlete. Scholarships. <laughs> I have I I, <laughs> I have uh, cross fingers up right now. That's that's <laughs> uh that's because I am hoping yeah, yeah that's that college these days. Yeah. The coach thinks so. The coach, the coach so <laughs> That's awesome. Cool. Yeah, sick. I mean, um, how tall are you? That's I'm just six, barely six, breaking six feet. That's impressive. Yeah, yeah my wife's six one. So wow, good for you. It comes from her side of the family. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fantastic. I didn't know that. I didn't know he was. But last time I saw you, I guess it was pre-COVID. But uh, he wasn't. Yeah, I don't know if he so was. How tall he was he last time I saw you? Because I feel like so maybe at that point. 
pre-COVID wow. at the most. He just he got awesome. up, yeah. Good for him. <laughs> and still growing <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Oh, he's going to help. Well, his grandfather was 6'7", so right. the doctors think he could be somewhere in that range or possibly more. It depends on his, you know, keep growing. If I keep feeding, feeding him the way I've been feeding him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That always, that's always good for the Division One college. Well, uh, not only the skills, but also the heights. Sure. I mean, I don't know anything about coaching it, but I can't imagine that at 16. Wow. Amazing. It's kid on his team. <laughs> There's three kids uh, <laughs> of that height. Yeah. It's a, they're, wow, they must they're be pretty dominant. Good. They're not. Uh, we're, we'll see this season about their dominance. I'm not sure because they just lost. They just lost a 6'3 <laughs> senior uh, who's going to Villanova and was on the national U.S. team that just won gold at the uh, under 17 nationals. So he was a super dominant wow. player and a fantastic guy. You'll probably see him playing for Villanova this year, Mark Armstrong. So he left the team as a senior. So it's kind of a newish team that they have this year. So we'll have to see if they can dominate. Yeah, I hope so. Gotcha. <laughs> Catholic all boys high school. You know, there's well, Catholic schools the and they are powerhouses. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Well, that's good to know. I didn't. Well, best of luck in his next season. That's pretty cool. Well, today we're going to really dive into all the different ways that business owners, specifically these fitness business owners, can protect their not just their personal income, but also the business side, which I think one doesn't get talked about talked about enough, and two, I want people to understand like what options are available. David, one of the reasons I don't know if I mentioned this in the beginning, I forget, but one of the other things that I like working with David is like I have all my insurance licenses, but I bring David in because this is his specialty. Like like he said, he has specialists on his team and that's all they do. Same thing. Like we can bring in, like we can diagnose all right, you need an insurance policy or you need to review insurance policies. But this is what David does all day long. And he's been doing it, like I said, for 28 years. But that being said, I do want people to realize insurance is one strategy. Like obviously David's on here to talk about insurance strategies, but there's self-funding, there's things that you can do. So don't take this conversation as, okay, Pat and David said, I need to have insurance. Like get your own specific situation checked out. Again, insurance, like there's types of insurances that I don't think people should use. We're not going to dive into those today, but I feel like a lot of them, but insurance is a very predatory space because you can make a lot of money as the person selling it. So Part of what we're going to talk about today is also how to, you know, decide if you really need it and also watch out for the predatory people who may not be the independent agents. Again, you need to find someone independent, ethical, all that good stuff. But don't take today's conversation and mean that this is the only solution to just insurance products. Yes, that's one of the reasons I like working with you, Pat, because I know that you have the best interests of your clients in mind and you have your ear to the ground and you want to. You know, you want to explore what's best for them. You don't want to just hit on whatever the latest product out there is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's let's start at the beginning. So, what is disability insurance? Why do people need it? Let's start at the the very top because people might not even have any idea yeah, that yeah. they can protect. Their uh, so, if I were to ask you, you know, what's your most important asset? And maybe you'll think about uh, some things in your li- life that are you know high valued assets like a home, the, some of your stock portfolio, that kind of thing. You may not realize that your biggest asset is actually your income uh, producing capacity throughout your working life. Uh, so I'll give you one little statistic. And what I'll do is I'll send you at the sources for the statistics that I talk about so that if anybody in your listening audience wants to know, you know, where we got these from, they come from, yeah, Yes. Yeah. Any links that, that David references will be in the show notes. So as long as he'll get me the link and then, so anyone, you don't have to like write yeah. it down. And some of this comes from the show notes, so. industry uh, research, but there's also some from like the social security administration and that kind of thing. So if you're 35 years old and you make $50,000 a year, let's say that 50,000 just always remains the same. You're always just making 50,000. By the time you're 65, you will have earned 1.5 million. So that's the value of that income producing asset, uh, a million and a half of income. So what happens then if you have a period of time where you are disabled in some way and you can't 
uh, bring that income in, you are damaging that that great asset of yours. And that's just a, that's a 35 year old assuming that they retire at 65 and they're making 50 K. Now, if you, if you double that to hundred K, then you you'll double that, you know, the value of that asset. So that's an important thing to consider with respect to disability insurance. What does disability insurance do? It'll cover a large portion of that income. If you are, disabled and that is that you're not able to you know work and do the main duties of your occupation it all depends on how the disability contract is worded but uh you know generally it'll be that if you can't work the company gives you you know up to about 67 percent of your income so that you have something to uh, replace your income while you're while you're out uh, one thing that was kind of a surprise for me when I was reviewing these uh, statistics is that, well, there's, there's several of them. One is that uh, between the two possible things that could create disability for you, accident or sickness, that it's, actual, uh, it's actually sickness or illness that causes 88% of most common disabilities. I, I was kind of surprised by that. Uh, also, Go ahead. You have a question? No, I just, just I was going to say I don't know if you have them off the top of your head, but the most common causes of these disability claims are not what people would probably think. Like they're people that look look normal, but I know one of them's like back pain, depression, like things that everyone knows someone with this problem, but they don't realize that it's causing a huge lack of the ability to work, mm-hmm. and it's a big. Yeah. Part of yeah, about a third are so. uh, musculoskeletal and connected tissue issues, which a lot of the time you don't really even see. You know, when people are walking by you on the street, you don't realize that maybe they have some kind of a uh, disability. Cancer is another is another one, and then you meant you mentioned things like depression. That's a, a portion of them, and cardiovascular problems. I had a friend who I think the number one when mm-hmm. I. I think I did some social media posts about this maybe a month ago. I think the number one is like pregnancy. I think that the something with pregnancy related claims uh, okay. causing disability yeah, as you well. Can so have pregnancy as a part of a contract, some insurance companies will have that as part of a disability contract for the time that maybe a pregnancy causes a disability. Yeah. I forget what the percentages on average are. Do you know what, mm-hmm. but I'll, I'll let you fill in the gap on this, but the best analogy I ever heard is for disability is basically like at your house, if you had a money tree, literal, a literal money tree that was producing $100 bills just dropping to the ground, would you leave that in your front yard completely unattended or would you build some sort of security around that money tree? And the time that I heard that, that analogy, they said on average between 1% and 2% of your income is required to protect the other 98%. I don't know if that's still the average uh, that someone's paying good. for that's their a, policy. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good uh, guesstimate. I'll give you a few. Let's see, I have right here in front of me. I picked out a few statistics to share with you today. And these come from various sources, which I'll, I'll send you. But So if you bought a large coffee annually, it would cost you $763. <laughs> That's from a website that actually, you know, uh, that you can look at that tells you the cost of different things these days. Uh, according to Sprint, uh, $1,020 is kind of an average annual smartphone expenditure. Uh, to have satellite TV is 840 bucks a year. And individual disability income insurance policy, according to the insurance industry, is about $867 a year. So less than your smartphone device. So you could probably, if you, you could probably figure out what percentage of your own income those costs are. And hopefully with your influence, your clients are doing things like budgets and keeping track of, you know, what they make and what they spend and being smart about that. But so that's a, that's about right. So with that knowledge in hand, let's let's dive into some details so people can understand if they get approached by an insurance person or they want to start to go down this road. Again, now right now we're talking about personal disability insurance. We're going to shift after we give you the, the overview because we do want you to be prepared. Like again, like there are 
sharks in this business. So get a policy that you need, not what they want to push at you. But you had mentioned these pay out 66%. So if someone's like, why not 100%? Why is it 66%? That's a really good question. I would have to punt that to some of the insurance experts in the disability field with whom I work because it's been a standard all, all along in the disability field. The reason is taxes. So there's no taxes taken out of your disability income. Good. Thank you for answering that. <laughs> it's it's a post-tax. It's a, it's a post. So everyone, it's a post-tax payout. So that's why. So if you're making 100K a year from your business, you're obviously not keeping 100K. You're keeping, yeah. for argument's sake, 66K. So the payout, since there's no tax advantages to the premiums, the payout is supposed to be an after-tax equivalent. So that's why everyone knows. So again, like if you're making 200K a year, you're not going to get 200K in insurance because they realize you're not actually keeping 200K. So it's adjusted for taxation on the personal side. So again, we're going to go into the business later, but that's the reason. So you had mentioned there's a few different types of classifications that people should look at. Can you give us an overview of what what they'll be presented as like the different levels of disability that they could incur. Uh, do you mean the uh, definition of disability in a contract or like the occupational oh, classification, sure. all different kinds of occupational classifications. And when, you know, when an insurance agent speaks to you about disability, they're going to ask you uh, what kind of duties do you perform at your work? And it could be that you manage uh, other people. It could be that, um, you know, you're a sole proprietor could be you work for a corporation and you do XYZ kind of work. It could be management work, non-management work. So just as there are all different kinds of levels of work that are performed, there are classifications that lump together certain groups. For example, if you are an executive with a higher degree, then uh, statistically insurance companies see you as a lower risk than someone who uh, maybe is doing you know, welding at a construction site, they would see that as, as a much higher risk. So those would be two different kinds of occupation classes. If you have a uh, career which you have to get a professional license for or some kind of a certification, then they consider that a better occupation class because those those folks statistically end up uh, as, as lower risk categories. So explain to everyone what the difference is because i know that with some policies they will not make sure i put this correctly since everyone listening is their fitness entrepreneurs but they operate mm -hmm. much like you and i like we give our advice from a computer so god forbid our legs are broken we could still most likely go to work quote unquote go to work but there's some disability policies and we'll use like an example of like a surgeon but they'll say hey you can you could be a Walmart reader, even though he couldn't do surgery. And so a disability claim could get denied. What would that look like to someone? Like what type of policy would they, would that be a, yeah, yeah. Uh, something um, they should look out for? Disability policies have definitions of disability. There is the own occupation, your occupation type of disability definition, but there's also an any occupation type of disability. The less expensive option is an any type of occupation, which means that if you are disabled and can't work any occupation at all, then they give you the monthly income from your contract. But if they see that, yes, you can work something else, do something else, you're a surgeon, but hey, you have an any occupation disability uh, definition in your policy, uh, you could be a greeter, you know, at a, at a Walmart. So we're not going to pay you out. But generally, you know, someone who's maybe like a surgeon or something like that will get a, their own occupation, a special policy that will pay out if they can't do the exact functions that they were uh, trained to do and that they were doing when they became disabled. If a hand becomes their fingers become crushed or something like that, they can't work, but they could do all kinds of other stuff. They could teach online. They could teach maybe at a medical college they'll still get paid from the insurance company because they weren't able to do that, that specific occupational, that the specific uh, duties of that occupation. So that's 
going to be the most expensive kind of policy. Kind of makes sense that you would pay more in order to have that kind of exclusivity. Yeah. So for those listening, yeah, like in an ideal world, you would like to have own occupation classification. So that basically like to summarize what David said is it's your job function. So it's the easiest for you to get paid. Obviously, again, like all these things that you're going to look at, is going to be based on how much you can afford to pay and things like that. But if you want to be covered for your occupation, if again, you don't want an insurance company to say, well, no, you can't still currently, you can't help your clients do what you normally did. Maybe there's some loss of cognitive function for whatever reason, but they're like, but you can still, again, like use that simple example. You, you still have the the mental capacity to go to Walmart and greet people. They would decline you because in that scenario, if you're any occupation, that is still an there's something an occupation that you can do. Whereas obviously, as we're talking, that would be a huge downgrade in revenue. So that's not what you would want. And again, luckily, most people listening to this are going to be really healthy based on your occupation. That's going to be a good thing because there is. We're going to get into this later, but there is a medical underwriting, and you have to prove your income. So there's going to be a financial underwriting. So you can't just... I'll let David get into this and maybe we're jumping ahead here. But just as a general rule with this, you can't be better off than... You can't be better off disabled than working. The insurance companies make sure of that. So I'll let David sort of speak to that right now. But Yeah, they are going to underwrite you. They're going to look at your health. They're going to see that you visited a doctor recently. If you haven't within the last couple of years, they're going to ask that you go go to your doctor and get a checkup. They'll also send a paramed to you to do specific kinds of paramed things like, you know, taking your uh, blood pressure readings and uh, weight and that sort of thing so that they can get a snapshot of where you're at at that moment. The financial underwriting that Pat mentioned, they're going to be a little bit more stringent about underwriting your finances because they want to see that you are making the income that you actually say you're making and also they want to they'll they'll do a pretty thorough interview of you regarding your your professional licensing and certifications and the duties of your work because like make sure that you're you're not better off (laughs) under the uh you know disability than you are without it right yeah yeah yeah. these are private insurance (laughs) companies these it's not the u.s government so they will not pay you more (laughs) to not work yeah and one thing to keep in mind that's specific for for you guys listening if you are 100 percent online and not inside the gym training people you need to work with an insurance agent that's going to make that crystal clear to the insurance carriers because again that's one of the reasons i work with david because we've done this before and like we have to make that clear because and i'll let david speak to it but you're considered a high risk person if you're in the gym, like insur- in the world of the insurance people. That's the way that they look at it. It's like, I don't know if you want to speak to that more, but if you're more like us, like you're sitting at a computer yeah, yeah. doing work, they, they do have consider to know you more uh, at risk if you're in a gym. Uh, the things that to them statistically mitigate risk would be your uh, professional certifications and licensing. So that's always good. If you are the owner and manager of the business and you have employees working for you, they really like that because they know that you're spending part of your time doing the managerial and marketing and taking care of the employees type of thing and that you're not, it's a little bit kind of safer. It's safer administrative work. work. So they do like that. The insurance carriers now are starting to realize that people are, you know, teaching, advising and training online. And so they're starting to take people who have careers where they're working online and figuring out occupation classes for them. Uh, so that's, that's a, that's an important thing. And, and actually Pat, Pat was a part of, you know, going to one of the carriers and saying, Hey, these are, these are people out there. You got to cover them. So uh, kudos to Pat for that. Yeah, there was, there was, there's two landmines that you guys may run into if you work with someone inexperienced. The first being they'll think you're an in gym trainer, which is not going to give you a favorable rating. The other is that they'll think that you are like a YouTube influencer. And for some reason, they don't favor them from a risk perspective either. So you need to make sure they know you're not either of those. 
as you're going through the underwriting process. And again, that's why you want to work with someone like David, who is talking directly to the carriers. They're not just putting in an application and then you let some Excel spreadsheet decide your fate because those are the landmines we had. To yeah, one of the advantages of uh, being kind of older in the industry and having been in it for decades is that I've developed <laughs> relationships with underwriters and I understand how to you know navigate uh, and the zigzaggy course that sometimes you have to go through with underwriters in order to clarify, you know, occupations with them or to clarify, you know, physical health problems or anything like that. So uh, I think that's, that's, that's an important aspect yeah. of experience. The last thing I want to bring up on the personal insurance side, and this is going to apply to the business as well, but I want to make this point. So as we're recording this, this is June 27th of 2022. As we're recording this, there's a lot of fears at the economy, recessions, things like that. One of the drivers, and I'll let David pick pick this up where I leave it off. One of the drivers of how much you're going to pay, like if you're listening to this saying, okay, I've been putting this off. I do need to protect my income, but I'm worried about keeping my costs down as, as maybe we're going into a recession. There's different... The, when I talk to you guys all the time about like having emergency reserves... This also is how you can save money because the insurance companies, these policies are all based on, I'll let David use the terminology, but it's like elimination periods, things like that, benefit periods, things like But how long you can wait before you make the insurance company start paying you is going to save you money for, for years. Because I don't know if you want to go into like the typical benefit period. I know a lot of younger people, we recommend going to retirement age, the, the elimination periods. Just know that it's not a one size fits all. Like if you've done a really good job of having these emergency reserve funds, then you can go a little further out with guys like Dave and say, I don't need this to pay out in 30 days. I can wait 90. I can wait 180. And those premiums are going to come crashing down on you if you can, if you're willing to let the insurance company wait as well to start before they start paying. Yeah, that's so true. You uh, that. There's ways that you can structure a contract so that it's, it's a little more, bit more tailored to your situation, but also you know, maybe save some money if you have some budgetary concerns. The elimination period that Pat mentioned is basically your your out of pocket before the insurance company starts paying you. So uh, the longer period of time that you pay out of pocket, of course, the contract will be a little bit cheaper, 90 days, 180 days. If you have an emergency fund that you feel that can, can cover that, and you work with an advisor like Pat who can uh, structure that for you, then you can, you know, go out 180 days with an elimination period, have an out-of-pocket cost coming from you, get a, a less expensive contract. You can also work with options. For example, we mentioned the own occupation definition of insurance being the most expensive. Well, insurance companies will do kind of a hybrid of that to save a little bit of money. They'll do uh, two years of the, you know, of your occupation. And then after that, it switches to any occupation. So it kind of gives you two years to get to, to recover and, you know, be paid for your occupation. And you'll kind of have a heads up that, okay, at the end of the two years, it's going to be any occupation and you can save some money that way. So there are ways to structure in order to. Right. I, no, I I love that. Yeah. So again, this is this is one of the things that I want to highlight because in the beginning I said the one size fits all. It's not just you need insurance, but one thing you can do is make sure you're working with somebody who's not trying to push the most expensive premiums down your throat for their own benefit. Like there's ways that you can be like, okay, I'm covered, but maybe you're not as covered as what as you wish you were, but it gets you through mm -hmm. if you're worried yeah. about keeping expenses down. And then the next part I would just say as for recording this, obviously we're in a very high inflationary time frame. So you hear a lot of financial experts saying, keep like the money you keep in your bank account is getting crushed by inflation, which is true. But this is part of what we're talking about when you have these emergency funds that doesn't really get built back into the equation. Like if you're saving 10% on your disability every year, because you have 180 days instead of 90 days, you know, that is part of almost like interest that you're making on your money because you're saving somewhere else. But it all factors into why you have these emergency funds. Like it's saving you money 
in multiple ways if you're structuring your your risk protection plans right, properly. Right. And let's say you're young in your career and you feel like, oh, well, you know, I'm going to be making more later on and I'll be able to afford more. What do I do then? You know, well, you can you could build in, you know, an increase option every every three years. There could be an option to increase your insurance. It doesn't happen automatically. You have to kind of interact with the company, but that's also something that's available. It adds a little bit to the premium, but it's not yeah. like, you know, going full boat right away. You can kind of start as you're starting out your career, start a little bit lower and then build as you go along. And of course, you'd be talking to your advisor, you know, all along, kind of feeling out what you should do. Right. And I highly recommend that because, again, if you're listening to this, you're a business owner. So the goal is to double the, the business however many years. So that's what this is like anything else. This is not a one stop shop. Like you don't build the policy and then 10 years later, like if you're making 100K now and all of a sudden in five years from now, your business is doing seven figures, you bring your advisors, like, well, one of an advisor would know, but you bring the insurance team back in. To, all right. Now I need to protect much greater number. Obviously, you're going to pay for it. But these are the types of riders that you pay for because it's well worth it, especially... And we didn't really get into this, but the if something happens to your health, no one's going to underwrite you again, most likely. So this is why you, you need to worry about these things. And I'll just give you guys a brief example. I forget if I've ta ever talked about this before, but I know David knows this story. Years ago, I had a dumb doctor misdiagnose my dehydration as a pre-heart attack. And thankfully, I had a cardiologist in New Jersey who realized the misdiagnosis and basically like wiped it off of my <laughs> chart. And he was like, just so you know, I had to pull this off your chart because it was a misdiagnosis. And if they think that you, at the time I was in my early 30s, like in early 30s had a pre-heart attack, no one's going to give you life insurance. And that was my wake up call because like, I don't have kids. So I didn't feel a need to have a life insurance policy, but I ran out and got one just because like, I better get it because you just never know how close you are to being completely uninsurable. Like a dumb doctor almost made me yeah. uninsurable. So <laughs> thankfully, someone smart caught it. But that's the reason that you should consider this, especially all you people listening that are super healthy. They're like, oh, I'm not worried about it. And David can also attest to sometimes when you guys are in competition mode, that's going to mess up your blood work. So just be aware of that. You might want to run these when you're not competing. That's true. Uh, elite athletes, uh, you know, oftentimes get ready for some kind of an event and maybe they're cutting or they're doing, you know, I don't know what everybody does because I'm not one, but I know that uh, diets change and then the routine <laughs> changes and maybe the number of days a week, everything. Yeah, all of that yeah. changes. Low body fat. changes your blood chemistry. So it's something to be aware of. Yeah. And it, it's, yeah. Yeah. So, so to recap, we've we, three pitfalls that you need to be aware of as a fit pro. If you're competing, again, that's going to mess with blood work, hormones, things like that, things that they're looking for. And again, obviously, like we said, uh, make sure they know you're not sitting in the gym. If you're not sitting in the gym, giving advice. And then the third, obviously, make sure they know that you're not like just an influencer, like you're running a real business and like you're you know, your business is no different than like an accountant that just sitting behind a desk, fairly safe. Let's pivot to the business because this is where, because people listening might've heard of disability insurance because there's no shortage of people trying to sell it to everybody. But let's talk about the business because this is where I think a lot of people drop the ball or maybe they don't even know it exists. So let's talk about the first one that I think is super helpful, business overhead insurance. What is that? What does it do? Sure. Yeah, business overhead insurance. Well, you may be familiar with the term overhead. It's the cost of everything, you know, in your business. The uh, keep the lights on, pay the rent, pay your employees. Maybe you're paying even some, you know, mortgage interest. There's all kinds of things and I could actually send you, uh, Pat, a list of uh, all the different things that are listed for overhead insurance, but it's it's kind of the main things that you would imagine. Sure. You know, if you perhaps you you rent a studio to do your, you know, your uh, business from because you don't want to be at home doing the Zooms, you want to be in the studio space, you know, the rent for that, uh, that that's all stuff that 
a business overhead insurance uh, policy would cover. It requires a lot of financial underwriting and, you know, usually like a, a third party would have to get involved, like a CPA would have to, uh, you'd have to work with like someone like Pat to get in there and really get uh, drilled down on all of your expenses because the overhead expense can assist you during that time, even to the extent of a replacement, temporary replacement for you. If you are the business owner and uh, you can't do your occupation, you need somebody to like step in for a while. Uh, as long as it's, uh, you know, reasonably in line with what people that do what you do get get paid, uh, they can cover uh, cover that as well. Yeah, let, I want to make clear what what David's talking about. So, let's say, for instance, the people are saying a hundred percent of your income comes from your business. So, all of the revenue coming out of your business. When we talked for the first portion of the show about personal disability. They're basically just looking at the profit that rolls into your tax return. So if you're aggressively growing your business and your profit is very low, you might have a huge amount of expenses inside of the business. Like you're hiring salespeople, you're hiring junior coaches. So you might actually have very, like, let's just use a big round number. Say you have a million dollars in revenue. You might only be paying yourself profit of like, let's just say 100K, just to keep the math simple. But in that scenario, you have $900,000 of expenses in your business. And again, like Dave will say, like they're not going to necessarily write all of it, but you might have a payroll with junior coaches, sales teams, marketing, all of those things that are the business overhead as you grow. That's a whole separate policy that David's talking about. And that's a totally different underwriting because now the, the insurance companies are zoomed in on the business and saying, okay, like what do we need to keep this business? Because Let's say you're only going to be hurt six months. Could you come out of pocket in that scenario four hundred thousand or four hundred fifty thousand dollars? That's what he's. That's what David's talking about. We're we're now underwriting the. So this is especially important for people that are not running really high profit solopreneur businesses. They're running enter or they're growing to an enterprise business. You can't afford for most of us to go away that long and have the revenue stop or whatever the case may be. So. Let David continue, but that's that's what we're talking about. There's two separate sides of this: the personal side, which they're basically looking at what flows into your tax return, and now we're back on the business side, where your expenses might be way higher and your profit might be lower if you're in a growth phase. And let me give you a heads up too that these contracts go for uh, benefit periods of 12, 18, and 24 months, so they're not uh, really long like the. Uh, you know, regular disability benefits for you. So you have to be aware that it's going to cover that amount. So you have to have contingency, if, you know, if you're going to suffer more than that. That's a great, that's a great point. We didn't, that we definitely uh, forgot to go over in the beginning. So on the personal side, these can be your retirement plans. Like if you're like, I am permanently disabled, you can get a benefit period 70, to go to. Uh, yeah. What's the most you can go even, to? Uh, I mean, Lloyd's of London will take you year by year. Older than that, but it'd be tremendously expensive. But 70, yeah. Okay. So most people, again, if you're young listening to this, you can say, all right, God forbid you get hurt and you can never really go back to work. You can get these policies to go out until age 70. On the business side, when they underwrite you, they're they're basically saying you're going to be back within one to two years, or you're closing the business. They're not going to let you do this for quote unquote, mm -hmm. the rest of your working years. Um, so that's why Dave, if you were wondering why they're like, oh, two years, that's not enough time. They're like in two years, if you're not back, we assume you're never coming mm -hmm. back, which is not necessarily good, but that's the way you have to understand how they think. Right. And now there's, there's a rider that you can get on top of this. Could you, Explain for people what, what the rider is, the business loan yeah, protection. If you have loan amounts that are due because you're, you know, you took out a loan to build your business, then part of uh, overhead could be that you, you need to pay back that, you need to pay back that loan. You know, according to the stipulations of the loan, the, the insurance company would need to know all the, you know, ins and outs of that loan, uh, especially at the, during the underwriting period, but they can, they can cover that for you during that uh, 12, 18 or 24 month period. Uh, the 
of course, that, that makes the policy a little bit more expensive when you add riders, but something that may be worth it if you have a million dollar loan on the books, something like that. Yeah. Right. So, so that's helpful for people listening that you've done the smart thing. You Maybe you have an, an actual office that you own that you're renting, but you might have loans on it, things like that. Again, David mentioned it, but I want to highlight it. If if you are the key person in your team, like most people listening, like you are that key person, if you need to temporarily hire a CEO while you're out for 12 months, this these over this business overhead, they're going to pay for that. Yeah, that's a huge help. Uh, right. And again, the, all the business overhead stuff, we're not going to dive into the tax side, but there is like in that scenario, the premiums are tax deductible. Now, again, now we're in the business. So the premiums are tax deductible. The income that you receive, again... It's going to be taxable, but it won't matter because you're turning around and using it on a business expense. So it's a wash. But again, these are more expensive premiums. But in this scenario, like as Dave explained, the business is paying for it. You personally are not. Right. So it's an important right. distinction. Is there anything else we want to go over on the overhead side before we talk uh, about the, the second type of is a business disability policy? Overhead. It's not complex. Yeah. Anything on the underwriting side that they should know? No, it's just going to be, they're going to have to settle for the fact that it's going to be a real pain in the butt. That they're, they're just going to have to put up <laughs> with a lot of inquiry about their business. What's the minimum they need to be in business before an insurance company oh, will allow um, them to do this? It used to be a, a year, but I'd have to get back to you if that has changed at all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Usually minimum one year. What about sole proprietorships versus LLCs versus S-Corps? Any one not, more not favorable that I'm aware than the of, other? But I think you might have a little bit more of a beat on that than I in terms of like the tax, the tax ramifications. From a tax perspective, I know from a tax perspective, people who are S-Corps are usually mm -hmm. the least audited, which is nice. I know that seems to be clean. For people, but I didn't know if the, I would imagine the underwriters prefer entities versus sole proprietorships. I feel like it just shows a little more organization, and obviously, when you're going to the underwriting, you, yeah, you're showing like, executive like, salaries. They like that entity when you when you have those like, employees at different levels. Yeah, they they like that a lot. Yeah, separate yeah. books, separate taxation. So, like again, also if you're like an S corp or something like that, they file their own business taxes. So. It's just more organized paperwork that you can send to the underwriters versus it being all dumped on your personal tax return. And some of us have learned from the mortgage space, not all people reading those know how to read those. So you're going to get confused underwriters, just like you get confused mortgage underwriters that don't know how to read those. And that's that's like yeah. any industry. You're going to have and to, the, the underwriters going to want to look at something official rather than an Excel spreadsheet that you put together. You know what I mean? Like. They're, they they want some official uh, yeah. imprimatur on your on your uh, finances. Yeah. So as a rule of thumb, think tax returns. They want they want to know what you're sending to the IRS, and it wouldn't. It's not uncommon. I know David and I have talked about this a bunch of times. Like sometimes you're going to get stuck waiting. Like if, if like David's saying, sometimes the insurance companies are going to want to see, let's just call it two years. If you're not at the two year mark, they might say, all right, well, get back to us in April when after you filed the, the second year's tax return and then send it to us. So they might, you might be hurry up and then get paused. Yeah, by that's possible. We've had they to want more time. bring in, you know, we've had the client has had to, you know, hire outside counsel or CPA hours to put together a profit and loss for one quarter type of thing, because they really wanted to, they really wanted to show right. um, the insurance company. And so, that's a little bit more of an expense and a little bit more of a rigor roll. So what would you say is the, the amount of time before you can upgrade yeah. these policies? Because business expenses can grow probably much faster than on yeah, the personal really, side. It's so kind of a case by case. What's the turnaround time? Sort of a rule of thumb of every three years to review. I mean, three years goes by really quickly, as you know, right? <laughs> All of a sudden you're calling, you, you know, you find <laughs> yeah. uh, three years uh, on and it feels like it was yesterday, but yeah, about about every three years is kind of rule of thumb, but it, it it will be a case by case basis, especially if Can if you, you especially if you have your okay, finger on you know a client's business, like that's really good at you know keeping in touch with clients and seeing how their business is growing. 
since you have that finger on the pulse, you know, you, you can keep track of that a lot easier. Is there a rider you can put in the business overhead that will make the medical portion no longer necessary? So you're not getting medically underwrited again. You're just going through another financial underwriting. Yeah, that's, can you that's, that's do that? A rider that you can purchase. Yeah. The future benefit increase option that doesn't require uh, medical underwriting. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. They'll just do the financial piece. Perfect. Awesome. Well, let's move on to the the third, the second business one, but the third way to protect your income. And that's the buy-sell disability. Like most people have heard of a buy-sell agreement and those typically refer to death. Uh, but people may not be aware that you can get a buy-sell agreement for disability. And I really want to highlight this because again, I think it gets very seldom talked about. And that's, and I know David has a lot of experience with these. So tell people what, what is a buy-sell agreement for disability? Why is it different than life insurance? Which mm-hmm. obviously, you know, you're not dead, but I'll let you sort of dive into it. Because again, I, I really think yeah, when you have multiple very seldom talked partners about. in the business, you need to put together an agreement so that if something happens, usually uh, people think of it as death, you know, if death of a partner happens, then what happens to their share of the business? You know, usually will go to their, their family, whoever their kin are their estate. And you don't often really want that person in that family running the business with you. All of a sudden, you know, 50% is uh, someone's spouse who maybe didn't even like the business to begin with. So uh, there are these agreements that you can set up to buy out the uh, portion of that partner's business. And it's not only upon death, but also upon disability. So you have three, four uh, partners, one of them becomes disabled, it becomes clear that the disability is going to completely impair their ability to, you know, carry their weight in the business, then the disability buyout can help buy out that partner's portion, either as a lump sum, or uh, in the the case that I uh, experienced in my career uh, with a company I worked for, they paid the partner who was disabled uh, monthly uh, payment in order to buy out his portion of the, of the business. And then can you get a, a buy sell agreement to a key man? If you're, you're the old, the sole owner, but you have a key person in the business, can they be the, the beneficiary of the ownership? Um, Cause it has to be just different multi-member well, um, so, owners. I mean, you, you can work on a succession plan to, make a you know an employee an owner you could do that i just haven't seen it done on the disability side so that's something that i can report back to you on i know i've seen it on the life insurance side okay you know they they do a succession planning along those lines but it makes sense that you would do it disability i haven't seen it in my decade but there's always there's always stuff yeah. out there. Anything you could imagine has probably happened. So that's something I could report back to you on that. And for the for the people listening that have business partners that you're referring to, like the more traditional uh, ways of doing this, what are the benefit periods? Because as I understand it, these operate similar to the overhead. They do not pay out indefinitely. They expect, um, or I guess the, the cautionary tale, and you can dive into this, is that if you... I'm trying to think how to frame it. You could end up triggering the buy sell agreement when you're not, when you might eventually get better. But the terms, let's like let's use a hypothetical and tell me if I'm off track. Let's say you're, it's going to take you three years to be fully recovered, but the policy you have in place is 24 months. This will trigger the sale of your business, even though eventually you'll be back. That's my understanding. I haven't seen it in actuality, but that's my understanding that that's definitely a scenario that can happen right so in these in the when we're in the business world unlike the personal world these don't go on in perpetuity they they have a contract date when your business partners would take over or the the overhead policy comes to an end because they figure at this point you're not coming back and unfortunately if you're in a recovery that could take a year longer these are business things that would not go out they're not turn out favorably for you you can have a a benefit period up to five years is the most that I've seen with these policies. Yeah. 
Okay. Which is fair, I guess, because after five years, I would imagine statistically most people right, right. would be back by then or not. So this has been super helpful. So what, I guess we should circle back to some of the things that people should be aware of. One, maybe what to listen or what's a red flag from someone trying to sell them insurance they may not need. And then a corollary to that is when someone maybe doesn't even need this type of insurance at all. Like, so, so that we're fair to the other side of this equation. Like, so the first part was what should they be worried about getting pitched like a red flag from a, what I call them like sales reps, not, not people who actually. Yeah, I mean, generally if someone is just uh, pitching you a premium, like saying, Oh, you know, only for a hundred dollars a month. I'll, I'll get you disability insurance without doing any due diligence on, okay, well, what do you do and what do you make? What are your goals? What kind of budget do you have? Like someone that really drills down on your, you know, on your occupation and your finances is a person that is going to be serious about helping you structure something. If somebody just comes in and says that, you know, my XYZ company will give you a disability. It's only going to be a hundred bucks a month. I would, I would be wary of that. Uh, if it's a company that you've never heard of, you know, check with the agent to see what other companies they work with. Like if somebody says, you know, I work with, you know, Lever, Lever Insurance Company or something, and you say, that doesn't sound familiar. I've heard of like, you know, Principal and Western and Mass Mutual and John Hancock, things like that. But what's this company? Tell me about other companies you work with and have worked with, you know, to kind of grill the person uh, somewhat. Also, if you have a high earning, if you have a high earning spouse, you might want to consider you know, using their income, you know, you, you have to work it out with your financial advisor, but you may have your own assets or income that will help you through a, a tough time. Maybe you don't need to, at this moment, purchase a, a policy. That's always a possibility. Yeah, I love that because like in the, the whole equation of net worth, some assets are cash flowing. You know, for the majority of people, their biggest cash flowing asset is their it is their own business for entrepreneurs. So that's one of the main reasons what we're talking about today. But if you happen to be in a situation where you've already reached financial independence and all of your expenses are below the threshold of your all your assets, and again, maybe some people listening to this inside of their business, they're no longer relevant. Like they have a team in place and they can get, you know, 10% of the the profits flow to them regardless of if they show up this may not be a pile well, the individual side may not be necessary you know it's so like there are times when you should look at your personal situation and say I, I can self-fund this i don't really need to pay an insurance company to protect me so i'm glad you brought you that up have That's a, super valuable you may also be an employee of a company for example you're starting to do your entrepreneurial thing but also you you know you work for a company that you know, you could get some coverage through through them, like some group coverage. That's that's always a possibility. You know, your financial advisor can help you kind of explore those other sources. And those, you want to dive into like rolling that out to an individual conversion, things like that. Well, there are you you can have a group uh, you can get a group discount if you are a solopreneur or entrepreneur with a three-person group. So in that case, each person would have their own portable policy. So this wouldn't be like a traditional group policy that you might have through a big company. Usually in on your separation agreement, they may give you an opportunity to purchase the, you know, a contract that you have at, at work. It totally depends on your particular work contract. But in the cases of the people that you work with, Pat, it would likely be that you have maybe a couple of partners and then a few employees. Maybe there's even like a receptionist if you happen to have a gym and that kind of thing, or maybe some people who train others. So if you have a group like that, you can get a discount uh, for everyone by getting at least just three policies. Maybe you have two partners, so you get the two partners policy and then one other person, a receptionist a trainer, and then you get a group discount and they all have their own personal policy so that if they leave, leave at some point, they could take it with them. 
that answer your question? Right. And but I wanted to also get into the conversion language or the ability to convert a group policy. Like again, if you're a nine to five or then you're launching your side fitness business and you have a policy already, let's say you work for a big company, a Fortune 500 company, you have an individual policy. What should they look at about? Because like my biggest concern with everybody is medical underwriting. Because again, like you, it's a, I don't want to say a, a roll of the dice, but you never know. Like you just don't want to be in a situation where you don't get underwritten, even for someone young that might've had something happen. What would your advice be with conversion? Like, again, don't give up these policies and say, oh, I'll get an individual one now. You might be able to convert it, especially if God forbid you're no longer... Yeah, medically it, underwritable. It depends on the corporation. The companies have a wide array of the type of benefits that they offer, especially when it comes to long-term disability. So you would really need to speak to the hiring manager, HR person, whomever would have the contract language around that, because it's usually a certificate that's issued to the company. And then everybody has a part in that. And if it's a large company like a principal financial company like that, you can usually have an option to purchase the uh, contract that you had outside of uh, your company. But oftentimes, if you get like an, a separation agreement, look at all the different offerings on that separation agreement. I think some people don't really pay attention sometimes to the life and the disability offer that's on there. It may say, hey, you know, you're covered for X number of years for disability. Here's the premium, you know, if you want to continue with this particular company. It, it really depends on, you know, somebody internal to the company you have to speak to about that. But it's a it's a possibility. And I would put that on your radar screen if you're leaving that job. Yeah. And that's another uh, area that I'll put in the like, look for red flags. Like if you are getting approached by somebody and they're, they may or may not be aware that you have this policy from the group. That should be the first place you look to evaluate what that plan is, the pros and cons. Can you convert it to an individual policy? If you're working with someone who's instantly trying to get you to abort that one and bring in a brand new one that they underwrite and make money on, that should be another red flag. That's a good not, um, not really looking a good at for point, you. Uh, Pat, that anybody that comes to you and wants to replace something that you already have any kind of insurance, you know, life, long-term care yeah. disability, and they want to replace it. That's a big, big red flag that you got to be super aware. Maybe talk to your financial advisor. In addition to the insurance person, it's replacement is a big, big thing in the industry. Yeah. There's times when it's necessary, but make sure they're really running and showing you the analysis of like what you're getting. If you're, if you're replacing and some of the insurance companies are, are supposed to do this due diligence for you to protect you, but pretend they're going to be useless and make sure you protect yourself by having them really run that side by side analysis. Like, am I paying less? Am I getting more? Like, what is the advantage of replacement? Because replacement is very profitable to the agent. So make sure they're doing it yeah, for some, you. Not some, an application for insurance just has like a little radio button to check off. Like, are you okay with replacing this? You know, check, you know, yes. And uh, you have to be careful about that. Uh, some states do a lot of due diligence and uh, require a lot more, but there's a few states up there. So I would just be wary across the board of anybody trying to replace anything. Yeah. Well, this is this has been awesome, David. Where can people find you if if they want to learn um, more, oh, or reach well, out to you? Why for don't help? they reach out through you? Does that sound uh, good? <laughs> I'm, I'm David Tornabene. I'm at the Tornabene yeah, Group. That's fine, I'm David at the Tornabene Group. But uh, it'd be fine to Perfect. come to me through listening to you if you want to put my, you know, put that email down in your uh, remarks area, right? Yeah, that'll be in the show notes as well. Uh, yeah, and I could, do you want me to give you a phone number too, or just the email is fine? Perfect. Right? Oh, okay. Uh, oh, sure. And if you want to have your phone 201, number. 932-0100. 201-932-0100. Thank you so much. And I appreciate the time Perfect. with you. I'll, uh, I'll add that. To oh, sure. Be put that great. in the yeah, show notes as well. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Everything will be in the show notes, guys. 
Well, David, thank you so much for joining us on Build Your Wealth Muscle. And uh, we might we'll probably have to have you back because some of these topics we probably want to have. I think there is a lot more to go deep deeper. stuff that could go into. But yeah, but thank you yeah, so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Bye. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us this week on Building Your Wealth Muscle. Make sure you visit our website, darbyba.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. While you're at it, if you found value, we'd appreciate a ratings on iTunes or simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us as well. For more information on the topics covered, you can follow Pat on Instagram at PatDarbyBiz. The download from this episode is available in the show notes. And if you want help building your wealth specifically, Pat Darby is currently taking private clients. The link to book a call is also in the show notes. Thank you again for listening and have a great day.